This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. About five years ago, we identified that the problem is not only just getting patients into behavioral health and through a stepped care management model. The problem was also that screening was not happening effectively in primary care sites. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Jamie Zage. This week, we are going to dive into how non-traditional care models are improving access to behavioral health services. While integration of behavioral health services has been around for a while, we at SG2 continue to get requests for leading practice models, and we are excited to welcome three special guests to share their perspective and experience. First, let me welcome our guests from Rush University Medical Center. Dr. Neha Gupta is the Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health Services. She's also the founder of the Division of Integrated Behavioral Health and Collaborative Care and an assistant professor of psychiatry and internal medicine. We also have Dr. Jonathan Kaplan, an assistant professor with the psychiatry department as well, and he's got a special interest in integrated medicine. Also joining me today is Stephanie Snyder, SG2's lead for behavioral health services. Stephanie, set the stage. Access has always been a challenge in behavioral health. So I'd like to take a broad sweep here. What's happening now that makes addressing access so much more important than ever before? Behavioral health has been a challenge in a challenging environment to access care. More recently, there's been a growth in demand as a result of rising incidents. The reality is that we've come through a rough two years and there's going to continue to be fallout from that for years to come. So this, combined with our knowledge that behavioral health has a bi-directional relationship with physical health, means addressing behavioral health needs is more crucial than ever. We can do a lot to get ahead of it through providing care when patients are at the low to moderate acuity, rather than waiting until they are in crisis. Right. Dr. Gupta, Dr. Kaplan, do you want to share for us, when you first envisioned this integrated program at Rush, what was the current situation? What drove you to do this? The situation at the time was that primary care providers, while they were well-equipped to treat depression in primary care, the screening rates for depression across primary care sites nationally was very low. In addition to primary care providers having the issue where they knew how to ask the questions and to treat common mental health conditions, but when needing extra support and escalate care, they were left in the crisis where they did not have access to specialty care services. This unlocked our initiative to incorporate a collaborative care model into the primary care setting at Rush. Stephanie, with this type of model, why is this so important as a solution to solve access challenges? Integrated care is one of the best ways to address that patient population, the low to moderate acuity concerns. And I'm hearing from other organizations that in most geographies, emergency departments are overwhelmed. They're seeing a higher proportion of behavioral health patients due to the widespread lack of outpatient care. By integrating services, we are providing early access, and whether that's through psychotherapy and counseling or through medication management, through doing that, we're able to start warding off those severe cases that could develop over time. Thank you, Stephanie. If you've seen one integrated care model, you've seen one integrated care model, right? There are hundreds of different ways that you could do this. Dr. Kaplan, can you describe how the model is set up at Rush? 
Absolutely. I love how you describe that when you've seen one model, you've really only seen one model because it's so true. It takes a lot of adaptability and creativity in implementing a model that's going to work for not only a patient's at the clinic level, but for a health system overall. There's three large categories of integrated behavioral health services. The first is having a co-located provider that essentially functions independently from the primary care team, but receives referrals directly from that team when care needs to be escalated. In this model, there's very limited integration of services and often very limited conversations across providers, which often can be a limitation for providing that patient with the best care possible. One step up from that level of care is having that co-located provider, but having an ability for that co-located provider not only to talk directly to the primary care doctors in consultation and directly at the patients, but then once the patient is doing better, being able to hand them back off to the primary team. Those patients, if in the future they run into trouble, they can be referred back to a provider who's already been helping them. The next broad model, which is collaborative care, which is the model that we've implemented at Rush and has been implemented nationally with high degrees of success. Essentially what collaborative care is, the primary care physician still maintains total ownership over the patient care. However, they have immediate access to expert consultation for patients who are really struggling with routine mental health concerns. In this model of care, there's that partnership across the primary care physician, the patient, the psychiatric consultant, and then a behavioral health care manager who works as a liaison amongst all parties to really coordinate that care. In this model, the patient is assessed directly by the behavioral health care manager, who then reports back in weekly rounds with the consulting psychiatrist, who can provide recommendations for patient care, and they've not even met the patient. The behavioral health manager serves as that liaison to communicate what is the diagnosis for the patient, what is the patient struggling with, what sort of care has already been implemented by the primary care doctor. And that way, the consulting psychiatrist can really have a great sense of things and can offer the expert consultation. And those recommendations then can get communicated back to the primary care doctor for implementation. The other beauty of this model of treatment is it's not a one-time consultation. These patients are going to be followed longitudinally by the mental health team, primarily through regular check-ins with the behavioral health care manager, who then can consult back and forth with the psychiatrist as needed to make sure that we're treating patients to target, really controlling their symptoms, following them with psychometric screening to make sure that their scores are also improving, and overall improving the quality of psychiatric treatment that can be provided. And in this way, we can reach many more patients than any single provider could do from from the psychiatrist's office in the traditional model. That's a great overview. I love all the details there. One of the biggest challenges that we hear is getting patients into the psychiatry clinic from primary care. Dr. Kupta, how in the model do you address this? About five years ago, we identified that the problem is not only just getting patients into behavioral health and through a stepped care management model. The problem was also that screening was not happening effectively in primary care sites. We had to identify an issue and really look at why patients weren't being screened well. It wasn't because the primary care providers or primary providers did not care about the patient. It was because they needed a lot of tools to help them before the screening. We needed to make sure that the screening was built effectively into the health record so that it's a intuitive, easy process for a provider who has effectively two minutes to speak to their patients about their mental health in a constrained visit time-wise. We needed to make sure that the providers, most importantly, had the comfort of knowing that if a patient screened positively for symptoms of depression, that there would be support on the other side. 
We had to start by taking a good look at the actual problem and fix it from the ground up. We started this program at a pilot clinic back in 2016 with a champion primary care provider, with one psychiatric consultant from the collaborative care model, with a social worker, behavioral health care manager, and our health record. And we teamed together and we started this process with each clinic by going there in person with our IT rep, with a projector to show how to screen, how to ask the questions, but to also introduce what we could do for the patient and for the providers. What we promised and what we stayed true to was to call the patient by telephone within seven days of receiving a automatic referral to our program. The primary providers would screen, they would get an automated referral into our work queue, which is supported by our social workers and feeds into our patient registry. From that initial referral, the social workers are triggered to call that patient within seven days. That was actually the bulk of our model for the first three to four years that we made sure the patient was reached and we connected them to whatever it was they needed. It could have been direct care by a psychiatrist. It could have been resources focused on social determinants of health. And that could have been it. That alone actually improved screening rates dramatically because primary providers had the comfort of knowing that if a patient screened positively for depression, they could say, you're going to get a phone call within a week. So that is where we started. Since then, we've optimized our model to follow the University of Washington Ames model. And we have optimized our program to be risk-based, patient-centered in a way that's compliant with best care practices for depression. And it's really taken off. We've implemented this model into 69 clinics across the health system. That's including primary care oncology and in other specialty care sites. That's amazing how fast you've been able to actually scale this up and be effective at broadening not just primary care, but into that specialty care world as well. In those early phases, and even as you scaled up, what are some of those early lessons learned that you wish you'd known when you first started the program? I wish I had known to build this program around CMS-based billing protocols. We did the opposite. We built the program. We empowered the frontline staff. We really taught about how to screen and treat for depression. And we changed a culture around depression and mental health treatment in primary care. We built the buy-in. We built it up. But in a way, we might have built a house without the foundation and the walls. We were doing good things. We were supporting patients. We were getting them the resources they needed. But we weren't capturing all of the important clinical optimizations that come from the documentation and compliance efforts that CMS builds for you. When Dr. Kaplan joined us in this effort, he really helped us to redefine our involvement with the patient in the patient's journey. He really changed the assessments for the social workers to actually be a whole patient assessment. It's certainly asking about the psychosocial issues for the patient and developing that relationship. But he also helped us to build in the psychiatric evaluation that the social worker can be asking, a really focused medication question segment where we're asking about side effects, about what worked with the medication in the past, what didn't, who did you get the medication from, 
Why aren't you picking up your medicine? Getting more comprehensive. And that was actually not only from the thought leadership of a psychiatrist, but also we were following what the best practice was in a model like this. That really came down to the billing and coding that the Center for Medicare Services actually built for a reason for patient safety and care. For the follow-up calls to the patient, there was a standard and a criteria for what the behavioral health care managers needed to be doing in that month to qualify for this program and to be billed for this program. And for the equity of the patient, I feel we made sure that this was properly documented, not only by the social worker in their monthly therapy calls to the patient, but also the psychiatrist had to start being accountable, take ownership for the patient and actually addend documentation of the social workers. And this is visible to the patient now. That's great because the patient has every right to know what's being said about them and for them. That implementing the standards of care from a billing standpoint actually made this more equitable and just a better clinical program for the patient. Dr. Kaplan, given some of the workforce challenges, given the need to change, how are you using your providers today so that you can most effectively create that access that you're trying to achieve? The collaborative care model really is built on the principle of scarcity of resources. It was designed to reach patients in rural settings away from the University of Washington who really had significant need for behavioral health treatment. Coming at it from a position of scarcity, I think, is a strength of the program. And it's what makes it so adaptable to so many different healthcare settings. For us to be able to follow that blueprint and adopt that model and then make it our own was really what allowed the program to grow and thrive. What we've been able to do is leverage the already present, highly motivated, highly skilled social work staff that we have, give them the title of behavioral health care manager, provide them some advanced training in psychiatric interviewing, and teach them a little bit around medications and how to coach patients through the treatment that we're recommending. These folks also have incredible skills providing brief psychotherapy and supportive therapy. We've been very blessed to have these folks join our team, but there's so many social workers who are trained in these skills to begin with that we're able to draw upon many folks who are present at Rush, hire in new people. The other advantages that we have been able to leverage is collaborative care is built upon the telemedicine model to begin with. Certainly, the pandemic has accelerated this to a high degree to the point where patients, providers, insurance companies are also on board in allowing people to leverage the use of telemedicine, whether it's through phone calls, video visits. We've really been able to capitalize on that because it's fitting right in with where healthcare has had to go throughout the pandemic. We've been able to utilize fewer staff to reach more and more patients and cover more clinics because they don't have to have a physical presence within the clinic and wait for patients to arrive in person. We can receive the notification of the referral, contact that patient from anywhere and engage them that way too. The model was really eloquent in its design 30 years ago and could not have foreseen where the world was headed at that time, but really set itself up to be of great use, especially during this pandemic environment. You indicate that there's a value that it's delivering. Dr. Gupta, Dr. Kaplan, how do you measure the value, the success of the program that you've built? What are some of those outcomes? 
I can share some of our outcomes that we've had in our model. We've brought these screenings and interventions into primary care and improved access. Since 2016, our medical center has now seen a five-fold increase in depression screening rates. What it's saying is if you build a program that supports positive screens and helps the patient when they are identified early, the providers will be incentivized to screen more. Incentivized from a place of concern and care for the patient, but also there are financial incentives for performing well on this screening. I'll also share that a strategy we had in building this program, we wanted to leverage and build this on a practice that was supposed to have been done already and that the physicians were already held to do. Depression screening and follow-up is one of the core quality performance indicators for a primary care provider. We built this model on top of a metric or a practice that was already organic to the primary providers. From there, we've had success and we've also been able to incentivize providers for optimizing their performance. In addition, the growth in the volume of the program is an outcome. Program referrals have risen from under 40 referrals in a month in the first couple months to a year to over 1,000 referrals per year. In addition, hearing from a counselor within seven days is a novel effort and a pretty cool metric that we've met. In terms of clinical outcomes and quality outcomes, we have seen in our revised model where we've built the registry influenced by the University of Washington into our large electronic health record here at Rush. All the smart data elements that go into documentation and speak to the registry and also can go into a system dashboard for reportable outcomes. Since we've built all of that, we've been able to measure how patients are doing in the program since we've optimized our social workers' workflows to follow up with depression screenings every month as part of their practice, we have seen that patients who are staying in the program have shown a 40% improvement in their depression symptoms through the PHQ-9 scores. Dr. Kaplan, anything on some of the specialty care integration that you would like to share? I've had the pleasure of heading our efforts in the oncology space. I coordinate and collaborate with many of our surgical, medical, radiation oncology specialists, as well as our palliative care teams. As we know, patients going through the cancer journey have a high degree of psychiatric distress, not always meeting criteria for a psychiatric diagnosis necessarily, but definitely that process is very hard on patients and their families. And so we've integrated our behavioral health efforts and our collaborative care model into that space and have been working very closely with all providers. We've run a pilot study to look at both patient and provider satisfaction with the program. And our initial data has been very, very promising. Of all the patients that we serve, we did get about a 67% response rate, but 99% of patients are reporting that they had timely access to assessment and treatment by a behavioral health provider. Up to 77% of those patients are saying they actually have a preference for receiving their mental health treatment in a collaborative care model as opposed to a traditional model of psychiatry. 92% of the patients agree or strongly agree that they're very satisfied with their treatment that they're receiving. And about the same amount of patients are saying that they have a strong connection with their oncologist who seems to really care about their mental health. 
When we looked at patient outcomes over a brief period of time, we saw that 81% of patients had at least some improvement in their PHQ-9 and GAD-7 scores. So the model is working and is highly successful even in this complex patient population. And we've only seen about 10% of patients who've entered the model had to be escalated into direct care psychiatry clinics. So we've been able to reserve that specialty space for patients who have needed that higher level of care, whereas most patients can receive the care that they need in this model. When we look at provider feedback, we're seeing that 86% of providers would describe the program as being very easy to access. 57% are saying that the program actually increases their work efficiency, with the remaining folks saying that it neither increased or worsened their work efficiency, but nobody is reporting that this added extra burden to their day-to-day -day workflow, which is also a huge priority for us. We're asking a lot of these partnerships with our providers, and we're not meaning to burden them in a way that they're already incredibly busy, and we're not trying to add on a lot of work to what they're already doing. And at least 50% of providers have seen a significant improvement in their patients from their own perspective. I love your focus on continued performance improvement, quality operations, everything that you've been talking about is just you learn from where you are and figure out how to do it better the next time. What are some of the other areas of focus from those metrics or those success stories where you might focus those improvements? We have a number of ideas based on the many years of literature within the collaborative care space. Once we've settled on the patient and provider satisfaction, what the model is built to do is reducing overall healthcare utilization. Often patients with behavioral health problems, in addition to their complicated medical problems, will be much higher utilizers of services, whether that's through the emergency department, urgent care visits, more frequent PCP visits, just because as their mental health suffers, so does their physical health as well. So we want to be able to demonstrate that this program not only is making a difference for our patients in terms of their depression and their anxiety, but also improving their medical outcomes as well. As we're able to demonstrate this reduction in utilization of services, it also will come back to this being a cost savings model as well, not only for the health system, but for the patients. So we hope to be able to measure the reduction in costs and healthcare savings to our patients in the long run. And lastly, we also want to not only see that patients are utilizing care in an appropriate way, avoiding these urgent care settings, we want to see, are they more adherent to their treatment in their PCP office visits? Are they making higher rates of their appointments? Are they filling their prescriptions at a greater rate? Is their diabetes or their hypertension improving? These are all areas that we hope to be able to explore in time. So we have a lot of big ideas. It's going to take time to develop our research infrastructure to be able to pursue these ideas. But I'm very confident that we're going to continue pursuing doing this to demonstrate further improvement and in areas where we're not seeing improvement, asking the question of why and how can we do better? How can we better serve our patients? That's a great aspiration to take the program to. Any other aspects of your long-term vision, Dr. Gupta, that you'd like to share? We can apply that to not only this work, but our lives in general right now. Ask why, see how we did and make changes based on that data and just see how we can be better and keep going in keeping in the spirit of some of those goals. I'd like to see us implementing two additional metrics through the National Committee for Quality Assurance, the NCQA, and the performance improvement tools that they set out for the healthcare effectiveness data information set, the HEDIS set and measures. 
we've started to see and we've performed well on identifying early patients who have symptoms of depression and screening for depression and establishing a follow-up plan. We've done well on that one, but those are patients who technically have not been diagnosed with a mental health condition. We're detecting it at this point. That was phase one of this model, getting the buy-in, starting to ask the questions and performing well on the screening and follow-up. In addition to that, we'd like to implement the utilization of the PHQ-9 to monitor depression symptoms for adolescents and adults, which is essentially what we're already doing in this program, but now we can start to capture it with the primary providers. Dr. Kaplan and I are really excited to be able to go back to all of our clinics and say, we've provided this model to you. It's going well. Now let's give you some feedback and start getting your patients better, truly. And if they're not, just like what we do with hypertension or with colon cancer screening, perhaps we get to give you a printout of how the patients who are not getting better or who have not been seen within a certain time frame of a positive score. And why don't you call them back in then? we're actually going to be able to start formally making sure that patients are getting better and not falling through the cracks and giving patients the equitable screening and follow-up care that they deserve in their mental health. That's a great aspiration. I love the vision for where you're going. Stephanie, chime in here with some final thoughts on your conversations with Dr. Gupta and Dr. Kaplan. You've also been studying this area of integrated behavioral health of these collaborative care models. What are the next steps you would suggest to our listeners to take in addressing some of these access issues moving forward? Assessing your current demands in behavioral health is always a good place to start. If you have boarding in your emergency department, ask yourself why that is. Do you lack outpatient services or other access points to receive care? This may help identify gaps in your system of care. And then from there, you'll be armed with some data points, as well as some ideas on where you may be interested in beefing up your access channels. On the topic of integrated care, if that's something that your organization is interested in, learning the successes and learning opportunities, such as what you've heard from Rush today, can help identify what model and relevant work streams might work best for your particular organization. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you, Dr. Gupta and Dr. Kaplan, for sharing your approach to collaborative care to integrated behavioral health services. I wish you ongoing success in achieving your aspirations. For our listeners who are interested in hearing more about trends and innovations in behavioral health services, consider joining us in Chicago for SG2's Executive Summit, July 28th and 29th where Stephanie will be participating in our service line panel. Or online, if you're not able to join us in person, August 2nd and August 3rd, we'll be doing our executive summit virtually. You can reach out to us and connect with Stephanie directly as well. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.